Good morning. Let's pray, shall we, as we spend time in God's Word together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, as we encounter Jesus in a slightly different way than we have so far in the Gospel of Matthew, as we see something a bit unusual about Him, we ask, Father, You would help us to see Him very clearly, that we might understand the age that we live in and the necessity of responding and relating rightly to Jesus. Father, help us today to not shy away from this part of your word, to not reject the picture of Jesus that it shows us, but instead to see that in your Son you have appointed the ruler and the judge of the world to whom we must give an account. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every now and then you learn something about a person that changes Not just how you see them, but how you relate to them. I don't know if you've had one of those moments, a a revelation, somebody that you thought you knew, they do something, they think something, they act in a certain way that you think, I didn't really ever know you. In the papers over the last couple of years, we've had the story of Melissa Caddick. I don't know, has anyone anyone been following uh, this, this? Like, it's a sordid story. You go and read it and the details are incredible, right? It's a woman who, over a number of years, defrauded and embezzled and, in the end, walked off with people's money until when she was about to be investigated, she suddenly disappeared. And all they ever found of her was a foot. Sounds a bit like a Sherlock Holmes story, actually, and then you you need to wind it back. Can you imagine being her friends, her family? These were the people that mostly she defrauded. The the people whose money she took were those who would call themselves her friends, those who were her family. Can you imagine the day when it suddenly gets revealed that, no, she's not an accomplished financial advisor who's been making you millions of dollars. In fact, she's a complete fraud who has burnt all of your money and it's all gone, all $30 million of it. You learn something about a person it changed quite significantly how you view them. Or perhaps a more positive example, I had a friend who, a very humble man, you'd you'd never think particularly, you know, he he wasn't in particularly high circumstance. If you ever talked to him, you asked him, you know, what do do you do? He'd tell you he was a garbage man. And you think, well, that's that's a very honourable profession, right? Good on you. And then you thought you had him figured out. And of course, the day when he told me what he really does changes quite significantly. He is the man solely responsible for the disposal of the nuclear waste at the reactor. Just a garbage man. So far we've had a picture of Jesus that's been very consistent week to week, this good man, this loving man, this man who came to sacrifice of himself for the good of others. But today we see something about Jesus, we learn something about him that not doesn't just change how we think of him, but must affect how we relate to him. The the chapter starts nicely enough, right? Jesus sees the crowds, they're like sheep without a shepherd, we've got to look after them, he sends out the disciples on their mission, they go to preach and to heal and to deliver and to save and it's all wonderful. But then the chapter takes this very unexpected turn, as all of a sudden Jesus says things like, let your peace remain on them if they are worthy, but if they are not, return your peace to yourself. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that. I mean, these are hard words. 
All of a sudden, it changes. As Jesus says, as you go on your mission, what's going to happen is you're going to be persecuted and thrown in prison. In fact, so unexpected is this picture of Jesus. Come down to verse 34 in chapter 10 and look at what he says. Don't assume I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> is, is that the picture of Jesus? I think for many out of the church, Jesus is a good man, a good teacher, perhaps even someone worthy of admiration, a guide, someone we can follow. Really? Came not to bring peace, but a sword? Even within the church, I think this is an unexpected picture for us, right? Jesus came out of love to die, to be forgiven, so that we could have a good life and eternity, right? Isn't that... No, he came not to bring peace, but a sword. What's going on? That's what I want to work out with us this morning. Let's, let's come back and wind through the chapter and work out why is it that Jesus would say something like that? And what does he mean? What's the division that Jesus brings? I'm going to talk about the mission. I'm going to talk about the unexpected response. I'm going to talk about the urgency. And finally, we're going to understand what does it mean for the Son of Man to have come. All right, let's talk about the mission. Again, in verse 35 in chapter 9, we, we kind of get this summary of what's been happening. If, if you've missed the last nine chapters of Matthew, which... Uh, have been spread over the last three years as we've preached it, so is it possible you missed some of it? Here's the summary, right? Well done, you came on the week where in one sentence we capture it all. Jesus continued going around the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That's been the last nine chapters. The Sermon on the Mount, he teaches, and then the last little while we've been seeing him bring in the kingdom with power as he heals. And yet as he surveys the crowds that have been gathering and gathering and gathering, what he sees is sheep without a shepherd, distressed and dejected. It's, a very, it's an indictment on the leadership of Israel. I mean, they had their leaders, they had their teachers and their scribes and their priests and, their, and they were all rubbish, spiritually adrift. And so, verse 37, Jesus says to the disciples, the harvest is abundant, the workers are few... We need to bring in God's kingdom. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. One man alone, Jesus facing the harvest and he says to the disciples, we need more, so pray and then be an answer to that prayer. Verse chapter 10, verse 1, summoning the twelve, he gave them authority. Authority over unclean spirits to drive them out, authority to heal every disease and sickness. Or if you come down to verse 6, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. What an incredible mission to go on. Off you go, I mean, this isn't a how-to, by the way. If, if you're ever going to go on mission, th this isn't the bit to pull out and go, okay, we've got to go twos, uh, we've got to not take any money or a bag, or clothes, uh, we've just got to walk, not allowed to drive, and it doesn't work that way. This is a mission for the Twelve at this particular point in the history of Israel. But what a mission! To be given the very power and authority of God Himself that Jesus carries, to have that delegated and say, go, 
and do these incredible things, act in power to prove that God's kingdom has come near. These are the things of God's kingdom. Freedom, health, release, eternity. Go and preach the kingdom has come near. And so off they go. But it's a strange mission. Why don't take supplies? Why move quickly? There's almost a, a coldness. I don't know if brutality is the right word, but go into a town. If they receive you, good. Deal with them. If they don't, just turn around and keep going. They're done. They're lost. Move to the next one. Go fast. Go light. And as you go, and as you preach, and as you bring about the kingdom of God, what would you expect is going to happen? Let me just picture it for a moment, right? We, we get a crusade comes to town again. And this one's even bigger than the Billy Graham ones. Because this one comes not just with the big gatherings and the powerful preaching, but it comes with the miracles as well. Left, right and centre. Everything that we would ever expect of a miraculous God to do is happening. People are just... I mean, let's make it more personal, right? Someone comes and knocks at your door. Hello, I'm here to bring the kingdom of God. I want to tell you about how you need to relate to God. And you think to yourself, well, that's a good laugh, go away. Right? I mean, why would you not? And then the person says, oh, well, let me prove it to you. Are there any sick people in the house? Yes, poof, they're all healed. And you turn around and they're all healed. And you think, well, come on in, right? At that point, something's happening. The lame stand up and walk. The demon-possessed are suddenly released. There's a dead guy over there. He just got up and he's... Come, talk to us. You'd think the response would be quite positive, wouldn't you? Well, yes, some will receive, Jesus says. Some will be worthy. Some will accept your peace. But many won't. Have a look at verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be as shrewd as serpents, be as innocent as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their sin. What a strange response. Down to verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. Doesn't quite seem to fit, does it? They're going on this mission that ought to result in everybody loving them everywhere. And instead, what Jesus says is going to happen, they're going to hate you. They're going to flog you. So badly that even a father will betray his child and a brother his brother. Because of me, they're going to hate you. Why? What have we missed? What is it about this mission that Jesus sent them on, this mission that Jesus was on, that provoked such outrage? Well, it's all caught up with the need for urgency. Why the urgency? Run, don't stop. Don't even bother sticking around to pack, just go, go, go. If you get to a town and they won't receive you, pack up and move. Why the betrayal, the opposition, the hatred? 
Well, it's all caught up in verse 23. Here's the heart of the matter. This, un- this explains it all. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That explains it, doesn't it? It's perfectly clear. What are you talking about, Jesus? The Son of Man is coming. Okay. I mean, Jesus has referred to himself as the Son of Man already. But you're right here, Jesus. Like, what do you mean the Son of Man comes? Is Jesus going to chase them? Like, they've got to go on their mission, and if he ever catches up to them, they're in trouble. So you've got to go fast before the Son of Man catches you. Like, is it just a big game of spiritual tag or something? What does he mean by this? We need to go back into the Old Testament to get a handle on what Jesus is saying here. And we've got to go back to the book of Daniel and chapter 7. Now, um, if if you're a good Bible flicker, you're welcome to look it up. Otherwise, you can listen as I read it. It's just after Ezekiel, so if you're kind of finding Ezekiel, it's the bigger one, and Daniel comes just after And we're going to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was a prophet who had this incredible vision from God, who showed him what was going to happen. And Daniel sees this vision with all these amazing creatures and powerful beings, and in the midst of this vision, he saw this. Chapter 7 in Daniel and verse 9. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. There's a picture of God seated on his throne in majesty and glory and holiness, all of that fire consuming all wickedness before him. And the books are opened, the books of life and the books of judgment. Now look what happens next, come down to verse 13. I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly... One like a son of man, pick up our little reference from Matthew 10, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Twelve disciples, run. Because before you get to the end of Israel, the Son of Man will come. Before you get to the end of your mission, the one who is like a son of man will come in the clouds before the Ancient of Days, be seated on the throne of God himself to rule the world. Now, to understand the Son of Man coming, you you have to 
forget about yourself for a moment, because whenever we hear the word come, we think, talking about me, right? You think that, I want to come to something, well, it's about me, right? Come over here, come to where I am. The Son of Man coming in the clouds doesn't mean Jesus coming to us, it means Jesus going to God. The Son of Man comes before the Almighty, comes before the Ancient of Days and is given rule and reign. In His death, in His resurrection, as Jesus ascends into heaven in the clouds, the Son of Man comes. The kingdom has come near, Jesus preached. The kingdom has come near, the disciples preached. The King was about to be enthroned. The Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days and being given power and authority to rule everyone. That includes you, for his dominion is one that never ends. That wasn't just disciples going out to the people of Israel. Hurry, go and preach. Because what God has done is begun the end of the world. That's what God has done in Jesus. He's begun the judgment day by placing the judge on the throne. He's begun the rule of his king, enthroned. It's funny, isn't it? The good news of the kingdom brings such division. It's good news if you're on the side of the king. The word gospel was that declaration of victory. You can imagine the the armies have been battling Our army won and the herald is running through the towns proclaiming the gospel. We won! We won! Now, of course, if you're a spy in that town and your allegiance is actually to the losers, that's not good news, is it? If you get found out. The gospel is good news to God's people. It's blessing, but it's a very big problem if you are not a follower of Jesus. What are you going to do? If the king comes along and says, well, we won and you are about to be destroyed, you hate that herald. You hate the outcome. Dare I dip my toe into the water of politics for a moment, right? The outcome of last night, I'm sure that there are people who who will have cried at the result, who will have, right, I'm I'm not going to judge one way or the other, tell you, but there will be people who will have been angry at the result, who, who will feel devastated and destroyed because their side didn't win. They feel threatened by whoever won. The gospel is good news if you're on the side of King Jesus. But if not, if you are unworthy, as it puts it here, if this is not a declaration of peace but of war, well, then you will be an enemy of God and so an enemy of God's people. No wonder they will persecute you and flog you and betray you and hate you. In fact, the description here of anyone who doesn't follow Jesus is that you are following in the footsteps of Satan himself. reject the king, you will reject the followers. Serious, isn't it? You know what, I feel like out of all the things we've learned about Jesus so far, this is the one that demands the most immediate response. 
You see, if Jesus died to forgive you for your sins, it's nice, isn't it? And you think, well, there's, there's, there's a benefit to that. I, sh- I should maybe take it on board. But if I don't, well, my life is nice anyway. Is there really a big deal? The Son of Man has come. The one who judges the world, the one with all power and with all authority. The one who will judge your life. The one to whom you must give an account. You see, Christianity is nice, but that's not the point. Christianity is the only salvation out of the eternal emergency that you face. For to come to Jesus now, to come to the King now while he's offering amnesty is so much better than to be brought before the King when the battle is over and all that's left is to mop up the enemies. We learned something about Jesus today, didn't we? The Son of Man enthroned in power, the one who has come and in his coming brings a sword, he brings great division. This is a description of reality, that as the gospel is preached, if you do not respond by trusting Jesus, you will find yourself an enemy of God and God's people. It's a big call, because what Jesus asks of you is to give everything up. Did you notice at the very end of our passage, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me? The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life, if you think you can do it your way, if you think that you don't need Jesus and you can do it all yourself, you will lose it. But, but anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. What Jesus asks of you is everything. He's the king. It's right of him to ask you. To follow him is costly. To follow him is to invite this sort of persecution and invite people to hate you because you will now live for the king that is their enemy. But it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. Did you see the promises in here to God's people? The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who loses his life will find it. The one who stands with Jesus, Jesus will stand with them before the Father. The rewards are worth it. But will you please hear the warning today? If you came in thinking of Jesus as a good guy, a nice guy, a good teacher, someone to follow, he is all those things. If you even came in today thinking of Jesus as the guy who, because of his death, can and will forgive you, he is that too. But please do not forget that Jesus is the Son of Man who has been seated by God on the throne from which he will judge your life, from which he will rule your life now or into eternity. You pick. And the one who is coming again to judge. Time is short. This isn't something we can play with. You can think one day maybe. You need to respond today.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, that he wasn't shy of speaking the reality, that he wasn't shy of calling it like it is. Father, we thank you that because of who Jesus is, we can't just sit on the fence, we must make a decision. And Father, please, for each one of us here today, would we know what it is to fear the judgment to come? Would we know what it is to have salvation now? And so I respond rightly to Jesus. Amen.